So the years spin by and now the boy is 20 Though his dreams have lost some grandeur coming true There'll be new dreams, maybe better dreams and plenty before the last revolving year is through. And the seasons, they go round and round, and the faded ponies go up and down. We captive on the carousel of time. We can't Hi, I'm Ryan, and welcome to the final episode of Joni Jams, a podcast that went album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography, entire complete, yes! Today, I'll be recapping Joni's career post-shine, doing my own album ranking, and just giving my final thoughts and thank yous on the podcast and Joni's music as a whole. Wow, here we are, everyone. Episode 22, the final Joni Jams episode, or the Joni Jam finale, as I guess it would be more properly called. So exciting. Uh, I cannot believe that I'm here. I feel like it has been such a long journey, but also very short. Like, it feels like just yesterday that I was doing Song to a Seagull, but it also feels like, you know, a hundred years ago. I don't know. It's like absolutely crazy that I'm at this point. But uh, hopefully today's episode will be kind of a short little closer to all the other 21 that we've gone through. Um, I can't believe I'm finally going to be giving my album ranking, which I'm sure people will be so, so supportive of my rankings. But uh, like I'll say later when I do it, it's not set in stone. Everything changes and it's it's just my opinion. So it's not, you know, nothing too too important, my my opinions on it. Um, I just feel like it'd be fun to do at this point since I've gone through all of them. Uh, but I'm going to start off today doing kind of a little epilogue of Joni's career post-Shine, and then we'll kind of get into the final uh, semantics. Is that is that the correct word? Anyone know semantic? Yeah, I think so. Of the uh, podcast. Wow, starting off on such a very well-written and planned out episode, right? Everything's sounding great. Okay, so <laughs> let's begin with the final epilogue of Joni Jam's Joni's career post-Shine. So... Last week, we left off. Joni had written her album, Shine, her final studio album. It came out, won her a Grammy. She, you know, was given her final warning with that music and doing all sorts of things. And uh, that was sort of, oh, meant to be her final goodbye or, you know, farewell to the music industry. Uh, She also had an art gallery at that time and a ballet that she did on war. So there was a lot of things going on around the 2006-2007 timeline. But post that, Joni's life has kind of been in an interesting interesting direction that I don't think she would have ever even planned on kind of going. So Joni left the music business post-Shine to retire. She wanted to be with her family, with her friends, and also work on giving more credibility to the disease she has claimed to suffer for years, which is called Morgellons. Um, Morgellons, which is something that I think we've touched on throughout the podcast, but 
I'll give a kind of recap, is a self-diagnosed, scientifically unsubstantiated skin condition in which individuals have sores that they believe contain fibrous material. Um, It's not well understood, but the general medical consensus is that it's a form of delusional paratosis on the psychiatric spectrum. But, you know, Joni claims it's absolutely real and it is scientific. And I think she even credits polio having that as a child as part of it, like a post-polio sort of syndrome, which I know she's definitely said she's been suffering through. So Joni kind of had these things in mind when she was going into retirement. It's like family, friends, and then working on credibility for Morgellons, which I think at this point she was starting to become a lot more outspoken about to the point like that she had never been before. And so that's sort of where she leaves off. So around the same time, Joni begins a string of controversial interviews um, kind of post her retirement that sort of brought her back into the press, but in not so great ways. Uh, I'll go through some of these headlines, and I feel like a lot of these things I'm going to mention are things that are so well known in like Joni lore and Joni Twitter and just all these things. (laughs) So you'll definitely know all the things I'm talking about. But uh, some of the interview things that happened, uh, one of the ones most specifically was the 2010 Los Angeles Times interview in which she called Bob Dylan fake and a plagiarist, which she would later say she never said, but she does. She did in that interview, allegedly. Um, her temperament and attitude at this time overall in these interviews can sometimes come off arrogant and aggressive a little bit. I think it was David Crosby who said that uh, Joni has the... Is it like the reverence of Mussolini? No, it's not the reverence. It's like the uh, the confidence or something. Like just saying that Joni was very kind of very outspoken in a way at this time, which I think is very true. If you watch the way she speaks to people, it's just a very blunt and honest candor, which is, I think a little off putting at moments, but it's okay. And then, um, in 2013, she has this hour long CBC interview, um, that's on YouTube actually, which is probably, I would say the best, display of her personality during the post-Shine career. Like, if you want a complete understanding of how she's acting, watch that interview. Um, She is very blunt and honest. Uh, She does rip on Bob Dylan a little bit in the interview, actually. At one point, she does the, uh, sometimes I wish I had a character that I could that I could talk about. It would it would not be a Joni Jams episode without me doing a Joni doing a Bob Dylan impression. Um, <laughs> during that interview, she also goes through, you know, I don't know, all sorts of things, talking about Morgellons, talking about uh, how much she hates the music industry, (laughs) all sorts of things that I think she was feeling at this time. Um, She also, in 2013, did uh, a debut, or I guess kind of a live performance of the last new piece of work that she had created, which I think to this day, publicly, is the last piece of work that Joni had ever put out, which was at a Toronto tribute that was to her. So she, and she went out and performed this as well as um, Furry Sings the Blues. If you look up like Furry Sings the Blues, Joni Mitchell 2013, you can see her singing it. It's really, really good. Um, I think Brian Blade does the drumming on it. It's a great performance. But anyways, at this Toronto tribute, she performed a poem set to music that she had kind of taken off the poem of Emily Carr. And uh, it's called This Rain. And it's on YouTube as well, if you look up Joni Mitchell, This Rain. And it is such a fascinating piece of music and piece of poetry. I highly recommend listening to it. Um, Even though she's not singing, the way she's speaking it is 
entrancing. It's so good. And she she speaks it almost like she's singing jazz music, like she's playing off of the music in such a well-done way that it sounds like she's singing it. I can't, it's hard to describe, but it's so, so good. I highly recommend um, that performance. But that is the last new piece of work that she has released since then, I guess, that's been written from her later period. We'll see some new work from the archives, but that's sort of, you know, new but old work, I guess, if that makes any sense. Maybe it doesn't. Um, Post that, in 2014, she released uh, the box set, Love Has Many Faces, or or Quartet, A Ballet Waiting to be Danced, which uh, came out of a failed ballet that she had come up with that was going to be about love. She was going to do some sort of takeoff of all of her music on love and make it into a ballet, kind of like she did with War for the first ballet, but it didn't really go through, and so she just made a box set and said that it has four uh, sets, and it has really, really deep uh, album notes that I highly recommend looking at. It's on her website if you want to read some of the kind of anal- analysis that she does for some of the songs. Uh, it's really interesting just to hear her perspective on certain songs and stuff like that through the notes. Um, and she won a Grammy, actually, at this time for Best Album Notes for this box set. So I don't even know if they do that Grammy anymore, but they did at this time, and she won Best Album Notes. So, you know, good for her, I guess. Um, so that came out. And then now we're about to enter a very interesting year, or a very sad year, I guess. So in 2015, Joni did a Rolling Stone interview with Corey Grow that continues this controversial interview set. And in this interview, she... Ugh, oh, I don't even want to talk about this. She kind of doubles down in her defense of doing blackface on the Don Juan's Reckless Daughter cover. Uh, one of the quotes she says was... Uh, Sometimes when I see a black man, I nod at them like I'm a brother. I'm just, yeah, just those are very, very problematic remarks. I'm not even gonna, gonna go into that. Uh, you, you all know my opinions on that based on the Don Juan's episode. But uh, she makes those statements as well as uh, she makes some questionable statements on Taylor Swift. If anyone knows these, uh, where she said, "I've never heard Taylor's music. I've seen her physically. She looks similarly small hipped and high cheekbones. I can see why they would cast her. I don't know what her music sounds like, but I do know this: if she's going to sing and play me, good luck." Boom. <laughs> uh, that came out of because they were trying to do a movie based on the book Girls Like Us that was about Carly Simon. Carol King and Joni Mitchell, and uh, they were going to cast allegedly Taylor Swift as Joni Mitchell, but that never came through. I don't know if it's because Joni was so outspoken about it being made, but yeah, that quote about Taylor Swift though seems to seems to come up a lot. I think it's kind of funny. I don't know. I mean, like the fact that she said if she's going to sing and play me, good luck. Like I just find it very humorous. I don't know. And then in March 2015. Here we have the biggest kind of event to happen to Joni Mitchell since Shine came out. So in 2015, it was reported that Joni Mitchell uh, had a brain aneurysm rupture, which took away her ability to speak and walk, and she had to be put into intensive physical therapy and daily rehab. Um, I think it was basically assumed that this aneurysm was going to wipe out Joni Mitchell as... We all knew her. She was never going to recover. She was pretty much at the point of being incapacitated, not being able to speak, walk, all this stuff. So 
I, I mean, I was not a Joni fan at this time, but I can imagine that that was such a scary thing for fans to be reading about. And I'm sure it was a very scary thing for Joni to be going through. Um, I can't think of, there was, I think that probably since polio, this was the scariest medical event she had gone through in her life. But Joni is a badass bitch and she fought back and tried her best to recover. And around 2017, it was reported that she was recovering in some way. And she uh, had started having small groups of musicians come to her house, including uh, Paul McCartney, uh, Bonnie Ray, Harry Styles, and also Brandy Carlisle. Hmm, that name's come up before. And they would be singing and play instruments at her home, and they were kind of jamming out. And thus, these little events that they were having in 2017 started to be called Joni Jams. Oh, where did the podcast name come from? Here it is. <laughs> and uh, Joni, as she started recovering from her brain aneurysm, started to kind of take part in these performances as well. And uh, one of the main songs she started with was Summertime by uh, George Gershwin. That was sort of her first kind of re-entering into singing. And when she started, it was realized that Joni's voice had taken such a dramatic turn into this deep, smoky sound that she almost had like a new instrument in her. And if you listen to Joni sing today... You'll hear what I mean. She has this low, melodic, almost... I've seen a lot of people say Billie Holiday. I've seen other people say Nina Simone. There, it's it's either I could see of this very low, strong voice that she started to sing with. And so it started to build up and she was getting more comfortable with that. And that will lead to something that happens two years later, which I will get into in just a moment. But before that, in 2020... It was announced that Joni would be releasing an archive series spanning her entire career, which is kind of the only project we really have still going uh, with as Joni's career. I don't like, you know, we don't have a studio album coming. We don't have at least I don't think a live album coming. But the one thing we can guarantee is that we have the archives and the remasters. Uh, I think there's at least two more left. I'm very excited for the next one. I'm so, like, it's my absolute dream. I'm so excited of uh, Hygiera, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, and Mingus. Lord hope the cover that she picks for the Don Juan remaster is what we all are hoping and not the original. Um, <laughs> but on just the topic of archives, I would highly recommend listening to all three of the ones that have came out so far. It's so interesting to hear, like, the live performances of some of the songs, which are completely different than any version you've heard before, or the original kind of takes of songs that you'd never heard before. Um, one of them is uh, Like Vale's Lorraine. We have uh, Jesus. We have Sunrise Saga. And there's a lot more of like a lot of the folk songs she would sing in the early days, like um, John Hardy and Born to Take the Highway. So there's so many like, little gems in the archives that I highly would recommend looking at, um, or like for original content, if you're missing some original Joni material. I would also recommend uh, live performance-wise, I would go on Archives 3 and listen to a lot of the stuff either at Dorothy's Pavilion or um, Carnegie Hall. Those are both really good performances. Dorothy Pavilion is great because you hear her stuff with uh, a band, finally. I highly recommend the version of a... Uh, this flight tonight that she does so good like that version on archives three is 
literally heaven. It's so good. But um, yeah, Archives One actually earned her a Grammy for Best Historical Album, and I'm I'm surprised, or maybe maybe it's not eligible yet. But I assumed Archive Three would get nominated, but I don't think it did. So that's sad. But either way, I highly recommend the Archive series. I'm so excited to see what comes from it. But that is a uh, kind of the biggest project we have going right now in the Joni fandom that we have left i guess hopefully something else comes out too but you know she's in her 80s so or almost 80s so what can we expect um now back to 2022 or up to 2022 in january one of the biggest things that happened was she pulled her music from spotify due to the joe reglan podcast controversy over the covid vaccine uh, that was started by neil young and she she joined him because Joe Rogan's comments on vaccines, which just, I don't want to get into that debate on here. Uh, I'm a big supporter of vaccines, but, you know, Joe Rogan had made some comments that a lot of doctors were offended by. And Joni, just, you know, because of the polio vaccine and things like that, did not feel that she wanted to keep her music on Spotify if that was staying on Spotify. So her music, as of recording this podcast episode in 2023, is not, I guess it'll be released in 2024, is not back on Spotify. So, you know, that's a big loss to a lot of people that want to listen to our music, but it is what it is. Um, and then in April of that year, she was given the Grammy Music Cares Person of the Year, which ended up having her actually go to the Grammy Awards show and present with uh, Bonnie Raitt. She presented, which a lot of people said she looked like she was very nervous when she was presenting. But I mean, what do you expect? Jenny Mitchell has not presented an award for an award show in literally years. So, you know, I don't know what other people were expecting from that. She did as good a job as she could. And it's like, she's recovering from a brain aneurysm. Like, give her some fucking credit. And speaking of the recovery, in July 2022, the recovery was seen in full force when Joni had the biggest kind of resurgence or back into the public spotlight as possible when she came out with Brandy Carlisle's surprise set at Newport um, and performed a Joni Jam uh, live with Brandy Carlisle. And um, it's now released as a live album, but it was a pretty historic day of Joni surprising everyone and going out and doing a live set. She performed... She sounded amazing. She played guitar. She did just like this train on guitar. I mean, it was uh, her version of Both Sides Now from that day. It's, just, it's incredible. It was an incredible day to be a Joni fan, to see her go back on stage with her beautiful new lower voice. And she. it's just, it was an amazing day. And I have to say that any feelings that I have about Brandy Carlisle were are completely you know negated because of how amazing this day was like this was i am so so in awe that this ever even happened because of you know what i thought the brain aneurysm did to her and it was just it was incredible and then a few months later actually they did another live show at uh the gorge which was her first kind of full big live show since almost 2000 i think so that's like a really long time and that had a very large set list, and Joni sang a lot of different songs. She sang some of her, like, more kind of unique material, like a Night Ride Home or Sex Kills or Raised on Robbery. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely incredible, this sort of comeback that she had. Um, and Joni Live at Newport was nominated for a Grammy this year. It's nominated, so hopefully it wins. Um, I think Brandy is also nominated because they're kind of co-collaborators. Um, I'll also just say that 
obviously I didn't review that album for this podcast. And that really is just because it, to me, while yes, it's Joni's kind of big breakthrough singing live uh, since, you know, a very long time, it is a lot more of Brandy's album than it is Joni's, in my opinion, because Brandy sings on a lot of the songs in a way that takes away from Joni, I think which is really my own only critique and pitchfork said this too like that Joni's voice gets lost a little bit because of Brandy sing excuse me singing so that's kind of my opinions on that and why I didn't review it but uh yeah um another accolade that she has gotten or two accolades that she's gotten be- since that Newport performance was she received a Kennedy Center's honor uh and so if you look up Joni Mitchell Kennedy Center honors she uh had a full kind of there's a full performance that goes when someone's nominated uh it was about like a 20 minute of like a biography on her and then people come out and sing Brandy sang uh Ellie Golding sang for some reason um Herbie performed with um oh what is her name is it it's Britney something uh and they did both sides now uh, it's a great version of it actually and uh yeah so Joni got that which is really the highest highest honor you can get in the United States is the Kennedy Center honors. There was a, they just had them actually recently. My queen Dionne Warwick got it. So that's mother. Um, and then she also got the Gershwin prize, which is, uh, get songwriting for. And so she had that and she performed live at that award ceremony. She sang summertime by George Gershwin and, uh, the circle game, which seems to be her kind of her big song that she's been singing a lot. Anytime she's with Brandy, um, which, uh, I'm trying to, I, you know, I'm an, I've decided that for the final episode, I'm not going to trash on Brandy or Hark on her. She has done a lot of good for Joni Mitchell. I'm sure she's helped her so much. And I do think that it is a little overbearing at time how much it seems like Joni isn't able to do things on her own. But with that being said, I think that we owe a lot of gratitude to Brandy Carlisle for what she was able to you know, get Joni back out there and things like that. So that's kind of, that's all I'll say about Brandy. I don't want to be, be a bitch on the final episode. Um, and yeah, just at this time, Joni at this point has become a lot more recognized, appreciated, and kind of put on the same level as her contemporaries in a way that she's never been before. There's just like a new generation of people discovering her music and her creativity. And she just, she's, kind of being brought into a new light at this point, which I just love so, so much. Joni's work is so incredible. That's really one of the main reasons I did the podcast was because I felt like I wanted to hear a younger opinion analyze her music in a way that just was not out there. It was like only older perspectives were on the music, like from like the reviews or things like that. Like, from like, you know, magazines or whatever. It's all just these older voices talking about her work when I feel like having a young voice analyze them is something that's interesting. At least to me it was. Uh, And I hope other people found it interesting too. But yeah, that's sort of why I did the podcast. And I obviously found Joni Mitchell around this time because of Lana Del Rey. That's how I originally found her because of Lana's cover of For Free. And then that just led me into this kind of whole world. And then It was fun to see that there is a small audience of people my age as well that really love her work too, which I really, really uh, find so fascinating that at the same time, we all are sort of discovering her in our youth. Well, if you consider 20 youth, I guess, (laughs) somewhat. So uh, yeah, that's sort of 
why I feel like I did the podcast. Um, but back to Joni in general, uh, like I said, really right now, all we have is the archives to look forward to, but, and the remasters, but overall Joni's career post shine has taken a few twists and turns, but it seems like she's kind of ending on a very positive note, at least for now with the archives. And she just seems very happy and, uh, I'm very happy for her and for the recognition she's getting. Um, I know on Blue's anniversary, it charted again, like all these amazing things. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of my little epilogue on Joni Mitchell post post shine in the shortest way possible. And now I present to you <laughs> the Joni album ranking section. Yes. Ta-da! I don't feel like inserting a noise there, but you know, insert that noise in your head. Ta-da! <laughs> Um, I've been hesitant to do a complete writing of her music because it changes so often and I really don't feel Joni's music needs to be ranked, but after analyzing all 21 albums, I thought it would be fun to try. So I'm going to give you guys my, my very timid ranking, but obviously everything can change and I'll just do a little kind of reason why for each, but I'm not going to go too in depth because I don't know. I don't think anyone cares that much. (laughs) So I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way up. Um, I will also say that Travelogue is on here as well as both live albums, even though I know those are not original material. I think that I still reviewed them, so I wanted to include them on here. So let's begin. Yes. So number 21, the my least favorite Joni Mitchell album, at least at this point, is Both Sides Now 2000. Yeah, so I didn't love this album the way that I think other people do. To me, I just don't know if Joni's voice is as fit to sing a lot of those songs as maybe someone like, I don't know, I think of like Judy Garland or of like Billie Holiday. I just feel like those voices are a lot more suited to those songs, but it I, it's worth it to listen to because of the versions of Both Sides Now and of um, A Case of You. So that's last. Now for number 20, I have a ranking that you guys are going to be so pissed for, and that is the album Clouds. Oh, I know. I'm a Clouds hater from, uh, I think, 1968. I just did not like this album. I can't explain it. It's definitely better than Both Sides Now, but a lot of the songs for me just kind of blend into each other, and there's not too many interesting things going on, in my opinion. I like Joni with a band and with a lot of things, so it's just not... It's not my favorite, so that's why I put it there. At number 19, I have... Joni Mitchell's last album, Shine. Um, it might just be because I'm so new to the album listening to it, but it's just not a huge standout. I feel like in her overall career, a lot of the songs kind of blend in a little bit to her other work. So that's why I put it here. But Shine is still a great album. All of these are great albums. It's just not my favorite. Then after Shine, an album that I think is better than Shine, but is also sort of sometimes forgettable in Joni's career is Taming the Tiger. While I do love... The tracks, uh, Lead Balloon, Taming the Tiger, and Harlem and Havana. The final act of the album is a little forgettable, especially the songs like uh, Stay in Touch or My Best to You and, you know, Crazy Cries of Love. Like, those ones are kind of meh. So, after that, I have Miles of Isles. Yes. So, I pick Miles of Isles here because it is not my favorite Joni Live album, and I feel like it is really good but it's just not doing anything too crazy to what was already done with her music. Like, it doesn't really change anything. 
Um, it's just a solid live album, I guess, in my opinion. So that's why it's there. Can't be above, you know, some of the other things. After that, I have Travelogue. Travelogue, I obviously adore. I think it's a great album, but it's just a reworking of her other stuff, so it can't be ranked too high. I just think it's really well done the way it's made, and it has so many good tracks on it. So, yeah, that's why it's above Miles of Isles, I think. Then above that is my least favorite at number 15, Joni's 80, Joni's, my least favorite Joni 80s album, which is Wild Things Run Fast. A great album about love, but kind of a forgettable album when you think about some of the middle tracks. Um, it ends and begins with such great songs, but I think some of the middle ones get lost. So that's why it's there. Then above that, I have Joni's debut, Song to a Seagull, which while yes, guys, Song to a Seagull is amazing. Um, I think Joni's still getting her footwork here and it's just not my, not my top, but it's better than any of the ones I think below it. So that's why it's at number 14. Then at number 13, I have Joni's second live album, Shadows and Light, which I think is her best live album for sure. It has all of her best players with her. She's singing amazing. It has amazing songs. I love Shadows and Light. So that's why it's up here. Then after that, I have... Dog Eat Dog. Ah, yes. I know everyone's wishing that I probably put that at 20, but no. I am putting Dog Eat Dog at number 12 because it is a great album and it is so resonant to today's culture. And I think that it's aged a lot better than people give it credit for. So yeah, I will not take the hate. Then after Dog Eat Dog, I have at number 11, Mingus. Um, I have Mingus at number 11 because I don't think it's long enough to be in the top 10. But for what it's worth, it's music compositions, the story behind the album being made, and just the lyrics rank it above all of the albums I've previously mentioned. I think Mingus is just such an interesting piece of work. It's just not long enough really to give it in that top 10 kind of area. So that's why I put it here. But I obviously love Mingus more than more than I can even state here. So and I love most of these albums. So it's really not any hate to any of them. So now Entering my top 10. How many people are already screaming? I'm sure people are like turning off the podcast because they're so pissed by my ranking. But I just, I have to be who I am. I can't say enough. <laughs> so at number 10, my top 10 Joni Mitchell album is Chalk Mark in a Rainstorm. I know people probably expected me to put Dog Eat Dog above Chalk Mark in a Rainstorm. But I actually think Chalk Mark in a Rainstorm is probably her best 80s album. The music is like so... So cool, so sonically interesting. Um, it's very light. It's just such a beautiful album. I think some of the tracks on there are so underrated, like songs like um, Snakes and Ladders, The Reoccurring Dream, My Secret Place, Lakota. I mean, it's just such a great album. I love Chalk Mark and a Rainstorm. Then above that, I have at number nine, Court and Spark. Yes, Court and Spark. Amazing album, amazing music. But some of the songs for me are not, like, you know, my favorite Joni Mitchell songs in the world, like The Same Situation or People's Parties. I don't love those songs. So that's kind of why I put it there. But again, any album in the top 10 is perfect for the most part. And after that, at number eight, I have Night Ride Home, Joni's first 90s album. A really amazing album, a return to form from the 80s, kind of sort of very, uh, what is the word? Synth sound. Night Ride Home is a great kind of return to the more Hygiera sort of sound. Um, and there's great songs on it. Uh, it's just, you know, 
it's not better than some of the ones I'm about to mention. So after that, I have, and this is going to get me the most hate, at number seven, I have the album Blue. Okay, I know Blue is Joni Mitchell's most famous album, but what I have to say about Blue is that I feel like it's not her, like, most interesting album. Like, the music is great and the lyrics are great, but I feel like it is Joni just beginning to touch on the greatness that she is about to hit. I feel like there's so many more things that she's, like, going to go for after it that I like even more, I guess. So that's why Blue is there, even though I know Blue, in retrospect of her whole career, is probably her most important. It's just not my favorite, which is okay. Then above Blue, I have Turbulent Indigo. Uh, I think Turbulent Indigo is some of Joni's best writing. I think the music of it is so dark and beautiful. I I love Turbulent Indigo so, so much. The Sire of Sorrow and uh, Sex Kills and all the... There's just so many great tracks on it that are just so, so good. I love Turbulent Indigo. Then above that, I have For the Roses, which I know I originally did not like For the Roses, but now it is one of my favorite Joni Mitchell albums. That My top five in my top five at number five. It's just such a good album. Her piano playing on this album, her lyrics, it's just... It is so good. And it's when she starts implementing a band and you really, you really admire what she does with the band on here. It's just, it's amazing. So after that, I have at number four, Hissing of Summer Lawns. Yes. Some of her best social commentary is in this album. Some of her best music is on this album. It is so good as just a commentary on Hollywood, on modern culture, on suburbia. It's just it's amazing, amazing album. It has some of her best songs, Harry's House, um, The Hissing of Summer Lawns, In France They Kiss on Main Street. I mean, amazing, amazing songs. I love it so, so much. Then at number three, I have, which I think people would not agree with at all, but I don't really care, is Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Now, I know that the album cover is such a throw-off for majority of people, but the music itself is so innovative. There is not any other album in the world like it. It has some of Joni's best songs. It has Paprika Plains and the Silky Veils of Ardor, which are undoubtedly some of her most emotional and impactful songs. And it is such a well-done experiment in, you know, the 10th world and Dreamland. It is such a good album. I love Don Juan's Reckless Daughter's music so, so much. And now we have my top two, which I'm pretty sure everyone knows this because I feel like I've said this for a long time. At number two, I have Ladies of the Canyon, which is just, it was my first Joni Mitchell album I listened to, which is probably why it's so high, but it has nothing but bangers, the whole album. It is Joni at her folky best, but I love it so much. It has like For Free, it has The Circle Game, Woodstock, Big Yellow Taxi. It has the real the real kind of standouts in Joni's uh, popular work. And it's just Ladies of the Canyon is an amazing album that I think defines early 70s culture, really. I think so. And then at number one, which I don't think this is this is controversial at all. My favorite Joni Mitchell of all, all time. And I think her best album, really, I truly think this is her best, is Hygiera, which I don't really think I even need to explain. I think in the episode, Hygiera itself, I gave kind of the description of why, but Hygiera is just, it is amazing from start to finish. There's not a single track I dislike. 
I love the music, the lyrics. I love everything about all songs on it. And I just, I can't express to you enough about how much I love Hygiera. Um, I'll also say that my favorite Joni Mitchell song of all time is a uh, song for Sharon from Hygiera. That is my favorite Joni Mitchell song. I think its words are amazing. It is just, it is an epic song. And uh, I think my other two favorite Joni songs are from Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, uh, which would be Paprika Plains, Silky Vales of Ardor. And then maybe I'll throw in for free as well in my kind of top four favorite songs. But I know I wasn't doing songs, but I felt like I would include that. But um, yes, that is my Joni Mitchell album ranking. I'm sure everyone's going to hate me after this, but you know what, guys? It's just my own personal opinion. It's not set in stone. I'm sure I could do a more analytical and well-done ranking that, you know, goes off of a lot more kind of sophisticated ranking systems, but I just, I, this is just my own personal opinion. And, uh, I know people were asking, so I have decided to finally give it, there it is. My Joni Mitchell album ranking. Yes. (laughs) So now we enter the final section, which is my closing remarks, my final kind of bits of gratitude for you all. Um, kind of to end things off in a very positive way. Uh, This is sort of my final remarks that I really have to give on the podcast. But once again, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone who's listened to all the episodes. And uh, thank you for listening to the album ranking and the epilogue so far today. So, uh, yeah, these are my kind of final closing remarks on Joni Jams as a whole. So I had to give a very intense mm -hmm to begin this. To begin... (laughs) I want to say thank you to everyone who's listened to these episodes, supported me online, and overall given me the confidence to keep doing something I really did not know how to do when I first began. If it wasn't for the support of others like you all who listen, I would have never been able to continue this, and I will forever remember kind of jamming out with you guys on this podcast. It's been an incredible experience, and I have loved doing this and talking to people online about her music and creating a conversation about Joni's music that I think is very it's very exciting for me so very much thank you to all of you who've listened to every episode and supported me i truly truly appreciate it and uh yeah after that i'd like to give a shout out or a thank you to tommy for starting the podcast with me many months ago uh almost a year ago actually and staying up till hissing with me um he was a great co-host and uh i will always enjoy the conversations that we got to have on those albums and just the process of starting this podcast uh i really appreciate him joining me with this in the beginning that was it was a great experience um i'd also like to thank a lot of the joni fans before me that have made sure to add her tabs and tunings and copious amounts of research for me to dig into for these episodes it's truly phenomenal all the work that you all do and I just appreciate it immensely I wouldn't be able to play the intros on guitar or piano if you guys did not give the sheet music or the tunings and the chords it's I really really truly appreciate you all doing that I know it's a very challenging thing to get that all written out but I really appreciate it and the amounts of research that people give on her website just overall is just so has been so helpful for me on these episodes and so I want to say thank you to everyone who's kind of contributed to that as well. It's really, it means a lot to me and I'm sure to a lot of other people. And so my final thank you, I know it's like, oh, how many thank yous can I give? My final thank you though is going to go to Joni herself. Uh, Joni, I know you are 
probably not listening, but in the universe, I'm just going to put it out there (laughs) that I just want to say, uh, you have given me an artistic and creative spark to my life that I will just never be able to thank enough for, whether it's in my music or my art or just the way I see the world from, uh, both sides now. (laughs) Ha ha ha. I just, your work has touched me in so many ways and doing this podcast has just been a delight from start to finish. I'd like to look at your discography from a perspective of a mere 20 year old who knows so little about the world, but I adore your art so much and I hope I've been able to do it some justice by talking about it and give you credit where other people have forgotten to. Um, All of the covers for the podcast that have been drawn by me or the intros and outros played by me have all just been part of my own way of paying tribute to you, who I see as kind of one of the most talented musicians, writers, and artists of the 20th century. And I just couldn't appreciate you more for what you've done for my own personal growth as an individual, both artistically and personally. So, uh, yeah, overall, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for the support. Feel free to re-listen to the podcast episodes whenever you want to hear someone gush over Joni's music the way you might want to or you like to. And uh, if you ever need to get in contact with me, I do have an email for the podcast that I'm going to keep up, which is just uh, JoniJamsPodcast at gmail.com. So if anyone ever wants to reach out and chit chat about Joni, I'm sure I can uh, find the time to talk to you about it because I love hearing from other people about her music as well. So uh, yeah, to end the Joni Jams, I was going to say a line from one of my favorite Joni Mitchell albums of all time, one of the closing lines of it, because I feel like it's a good way to close. So uh, this is to close the podcast. I'm going to close it with a line from the album Hygiera on the song Refuge of the Roads. Joni says, In a highway service station over the month of June was a photograph of the earth taken coming back from the moon. You couldn't see a city on that marbled glowing bowling ball or a forest or a highway or me here least of all. You couldn't see this cold water restroom or this baggage overload that is westbound and rolling, taking refuge in the road. Wow, yes. Thank you all so much for listening to this entire podcast. I truly appreciate it so much and uh, jam on to Joni's music for the rest of time. (laughs) That's all I really have to say. Thank you all so much and uh, yes, goodbye. In a highway service station Over the month of June Was a photograph of the earth Taken coming back from the moon And you couldn't see a city On that marble bowling ball Or a forest or a highway for me here least of all You couldn't see these cold water restrooms Or this baggage overloaded Westbound and rolling Taking